You've tuned into Omega Church. We are a people hungry to encounter God through worship and His Word, being witnesses to the world around us. We pray this teaching blesses you and trust God will reveal Himself to you in a new way today. And if you need prayer for healing or breakthrough, or to find out more about Omega, head to our website or Facebook page through the links below. Hallelujah. Why? Everybody so dull? No life? <laughs> sure you are alive this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's the way. That's the way. <laughs> so we are studying the book of uh, Joel. We have come to chapter 3, verses 1 to 14. Very difficult passage to interpret. Not easy. <laughs> yeah. So first thing that we see here is that uh, we have... In the chapter 3, verse 1, in those days. Now, this is not the first time he's using these words, in those days. He has said it before in chapter 2. And then in those days, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Did he say that? He did. You forget already. So in those days, after the days when the Holy Spirit has been poured out on the day of Pentecost, since then we are still in the in those days. The in those days is not yet over. Many, thing, many people think the in those days is something that would happen for a short period of time. No, it started on the day of Pentecost. It's continuing for the past 2,000 years plus. And we are in those days still. Afterwards, I told you last one of the messages, we are in this afterwards time when God is going to pour out His Spirit. We, we have gone through all that. Now, what is happening in Book of Joel is that the children of Israel, particularly Judah, and Jerusalem have been devastated by different kinds of locusts and they've been judged by God himself. But then you may be wondering, okay, God, you have punished us. What about the people you are using to punish us? They are more horrible than us. So God says, I'm not going to let them go free. Though I have used them to punish you, I will hold them accountable. I will punish them as well. I will punish them as well. So here, we see in chapter 3 how God is going to judge all nations. Everybody say all nations. So when he says all nations, is there a nation that is exempted? Can any nation is exempted when he says all nations? No. So he's going to judge all nations. That is what we are trying to uh, learn today. So, so what is happening in chapter 3 is in those days and at that time... When I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will enter into judgment against them concerning my inheritance, my people Israel. For they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. They caused lots for my people and Israel uh, traded boys for prostitutes. They sold girls for wine that they might drink. Now this is... I don't know how many of you have read Joel 3 this morning or before this week. Right? This is the purpose of our sticking to one book is that you don't need to uh, know anyone tell you what we are going to preach on on a Sunday morning. Because you know it. If I had done chapter 2 last week, I'm going to do chapter 3. So if you read and meditate and come, it makes it easier for me to, when I'm speaking, it becomes more easier for you to understand. You'll be able to appreciate uh, the message. So here, first we are seeing is that God has used the word my. You know, it's a first person pronoun in grammar. My people, my inheritance, my land. Do you see that, my? 
It has come nearly eight times in this chapter. How many times? Eight. But the first few verses, seven times use the word my. So in this chapter, what you will see basically is, it's like a triangle. You see God, and you got, you got Judah, and you got other nations, all bunch of other nations. And when you say other nations here, you, they are listed in this chapter. The other nations listed are Tyre, Sidon, coastlands of Philistia, Greeks, Sabians, all these are different kind of, but you know, it's limited to the position of Jerusalem. And from there, all the other, uh, other nations are mentioned. And uh, basically what we have to understand here is that the prophet is able to see into the future. He's looking into the future and he's telling what is going to happen. And when he's telling you what is going to happen, as Paul says, we see in part and prophesy in part. That means we don't have a full picture of what's going to happen in the future, but we definitely have a picture. And we see in part and prophesy in part. So what Joel is prophesying, prophesying, we have certain things to understand, and we have to take the help of other scriptures to understand what he's talking about. So he's talking about a distant future, when the fortunes of Israel and Judah will be restored. Now what is happening here is, Israel was not a nation until 1948. It became a nation in the year 1948. Yeah, 1948. And ever since, it's been a nation. But it has got, it is surrounded by all enemies. All the Arab countries are enemies. The closest enemy is Palestine. And they have been attacking Israel day in, day out. Rockets fired all the time. All the time. And they issue help from um, other uh, Middle Eastern countries, finances, to keep fighting Israel. Now, this, why am I telling you all these things? You need to understand this tiny nation, Israel, is the one, it's like a clock, it's ticking. What happens to Israel will let you know what's going to happen in the future. Whatever is going to happen to Israel is the one that will help you see, yeah, we are arriving into the end times. The end times clock is where do you see the face of the clock in Israel? The hands are ticking there. Whatever happens to that nation is very important. So what is going to happen is, God will restore his fortune. And then after, it is already restored. 1948 afterwards, it is restored. They have become a nation. Now after being restored, what will happen is, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Now what is the valley of Jehoshaphat? There was a king by name Jehoshaphat. And he was attacked by Ammonites and Moabites and another country. Three of them together, they come to attack him. And Jehoshaphat was not a very strong king. He had only very few people, very few soldiers to uh, protect his country, to defend his country. So what he does is he seeks God. They fast and pray. God sends a prophet. Tomorrow by this time, you will, be, you will have victory. Nobody will raise a sword, nobody will raise a spear, but you will have victory. So as they were fasting and praying, God sent his angels and these people, Ammonites and the Moabites, uh, they fought against the other one who, were, who was their allies, um, Mount Seir. Seir is uh, Edom. So they, these two brothers, or the, the two countries, have attacked the third one. Actually, the three of them came to attack Israel. But these two, three nations, two will become one, another will become one, they fight each other. After everybody's dead from this Mount Seir, 
Ammonites and Moabites, they turned against each other and killed each other until not one is left. Until not one is left. So next day morning, Jehoshaphat with his armies and the Levites going in the front praising God. What they were saying is, God's faithfulness is forever. Uh, his, mm. So they were worshiping God, praising God and going in the front. And when they come to the battlefield, what do they see? All dead bodies. All dead bodies. They did not have to fight anyone. They did not have to take a sword and fight anyone. What am I trying to say here is, when God takes up your case, there are no enemies for you. When God takes up your case, you will not have defeat in your life. When God takes up your case, you will be victorious. Tell your neighbor, God has taken up your case. Is there something to rejoice? Let us shout hallelujah. hallelujah. When God takes up your case, you will not be in the losing end at all. So Jehoshaphat is important to understand that way. They praised God and God sent his angels and defeated the enemies. They took three days to loot the dead bodies. How many days? <laughs> How bad is that? How badly the, the enemies were defeated? Not one left alive. Everybody dead. And whenever these people go into war, they put on their gold and silver and jewelry and everything and all the expensive things. And these people go and just take the things. Three days to gather things. And then they gathered in the valley of Baraka and praised God for the victory. What is interesting is, when Joel talks about, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, he is not talking about the valley of Jehoshaphat. That where they praised God was Baraka. So what is this valley of Jehoshaphat? There is no such place in Israel. There is no such place in Israel. So why did God say valley of Jehoshaphat? Simple reason. I have been thinking about it, breaking my head all over the week. And last night, that revelation comes. Like, you know, gentle idea. And afterward I said, ah, oh, this is the thing. When you have no power to fight, when you have no armies to fight, when you have no ammunition, when you have no weapons to fight, and God fights your fight, and you are victorious, that's the valley of Jehoshaphat. Can you shout hallelujah? When you have no weapons, when you have no ammunition, when you have no army, God fights your case. And that is the valley of Jehoshaphat. That's the valley of Jehoshaphat. So let us rejoice in this God who fights our battles and gives us victory. So this is not the only time Bible talks about an end time war or end time um, things. So you see that happen in several places. You have Zechariah. Uh, so where is this valley of Jehoshaphat? No one knows. But some people think it could be pointing to another prophecy by another prophet called Zechariah. Zechariah says in chapter 4 verse 3, Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. On that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward. Can you imagine Mount of Olives? You can imagine a big hill splitting into two. 
and a valley is formed. One half goes, moves to the north, another half moves to the south. This is yet to happen. This will be to the future times when this is going to happen. When Jesus comes back and lands on the Mount of Olives and puts his feet upon it, this mountain is going to split into two. One half to the north, other half to the south. And there's going to be a valley. And people shall flee. The, Jew, the Jewish people will flee through that valley. This is a prophecy. This is going to happen in the future. It's not yet happened. Ezekiel talks about it in chapter 38 and 39. He talks about a country, a man called Gog and a country called Magog. Gog and Magog. And this is again, talks about end time war. The whole world that you see today is into two camps. Is into two camps. You got one side, you see, US is there. You got NATO countries aligned with the US. And you got New Zealand uh, sta sta I mean, standing with the US, <laughs> joining the US. And you got uh, other countries like uh, Russia is there, and then you got China, and you got North Korea, you got India, you got Iran. These are all another, another group of countries. In the future, when Russia attacks Jerusalem, they will come to fight in Jerusalem. The word Gog that is used in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 refers to the ruler of Magog. His name is Gog, and he was king of Rosh. Rosh is a, now we call it Russia. So this is what I understand. If I am wrong, correct me, I will change. But as far as I know, this is what it is. So um, what I am teaching today is not the final one. This is my understanding today. And tomorrow if the Lord tells me something different, I will change my opinion. So it's nothing, I mean, the future events, no one has a right to say this is how it is going to happen. Because no one knows. Every preacher, based on the Bible, and how he tries to understand it, comes up with an explanation. And this is what I understand today. And tomorrow my understanding may change. Because I'm asking God to teach me. This has been my prayer for many years. Lord, I want to know. I want to know what is going to happen in the future. Will you please speak to me? Speak to me. Speak to me. This is my cry. And last night I was trying to understand the valley of Jehoshaphat. When the valley of Jehoshaphat is a place where God will judge. You know, one thing that puzzles me, even if I don't finish all my notes here, I want you to understand this one thing today. What is the valley of Jehoshaphat? Valley of Jehoshaphat is a place where God comes to judge all the nations. All the nations. You will not be non-aligned. You will take sides. Either you will join with the US and other countries or you will join Russia and other countries. It's one of the things. But what God says, when Jesus himself, when he said in Matthew chapter 25, verse 35, he says um, something about a parable of the goats and the sheep. He puts the goats on one side, sheep on the other side, and he sends them to different destinations. But then he says in that context, he says, I was in prison, you visited me. I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. So the, both the groups, sheep and the goats, ask him, when did we do for you? When did we see you hungry? When did we see you naked? When did we see you thirsty? Jesus said, 
when you do any of these things to least of my brothers, you are done to me. Who are the least of the brothers? The Jewish people. The Jewish people. The, the, the nation of Israel. Mostly, most of the churches, as far as I know, all the churches are sympathetic. Sympathetic to the Jewish land and the people. Why? We have this Bible that's based on the Jewish culture. And we have this New Testament that's based on the thing. So we are sympathetic. We are looking for the salvation of Israel. We are praying for the salvation of Israel. We are looking forward for the day when Israel will be saved as a nation. At the same time, if there are any Christians who think, I don't like these Jewish people. I hate them. On the day of judgment, if God says, go into the judgment, go into the lake of fire, don't tell before God that Pastor Ramana did not warn me that day. I am warning you today. You will, be, you will have to um, support Israel's, Israelites because they are the children of God. They are a people of the covenant with God. Don't tell me. He has not told me. Don't tell God. Oh, he didn't tell me. I am telling you today. <laughs> if you care for them, you care for God. And when God gave this promise to Abraham in the book of Genesis, he said, those, you, those who bless you, I bless them. Those, you, those who curse you, I will curse them. And that promise has not been canceled yet. So you need to bless Israel. But I am not one of those guys who 24 by 7, I think about Israel, try to do their festivals. I am not that kind of a guy. There are some people who do it. It's up to them, not me. I thought about it, but I said I am not going that way. Because we are in the New Testament. We proclaim the gospel. And we will not be going back into the Jewish religion, trying to do the festivals, you know, tabern festival of tabernacles. You, you have this day of Pentecost and all. It's good if you do it meaningfully. But I am not going into the slavery back again. Because Jesus is setting them free, so why should I go into slavery? Simple. It's very, very simple. Okay, so that is the point I wanted to say about the, this one. So many people ask this question. How do I understand book of Ezekiel? Chapter 38 was chapter 39. Put the word Russia where you see Gog. It becomes simple for you to understand. Everything else will be very easy to understand. What's going to happen in the end times? You will know it. And then this Gog's army is not one country. Just Gog, just Russia attacking Israel. No. Gog's army will have Persia. Who is Persia? Iran, the modern day Iran. And God's army will have Kush. Who is Kush? Kush is the Ethiopians, the nation of Ethiopia. And they will have Gomer, Put, Togarma. They are from the extreme north. So these countries are hard to identify. But what I am trying to say is these other countries are all part of Europe, extreme north. I would say go as far as Siberia or any of the other countries nearby to Siberia. They are those countries. So they will come together. And when they come to attack Israel and Jerusalem, they will blanket the whole place like a cloud. All the army will come and settle upon this place. But what will happen is half of Jerusalem, you read in, in, if you read Ezekiel 30, 39, Half of Jerusalem will be wiped out by the enemies, but the other half will not be touched. One half. 
So these are the things that are going to happen in the future. They are going to happen in the future. But I want to tell you one more thing. When you read the same kind of end time war, it is called War of Armageddon. War of Armageddon, he talks about in the book of Revelation, chapter 20, verse 7. And when the thousand years are ended. Now, this is what the tension is all about. In the book of Ezekiel, it is during the time of the reign of Messiah, 1,000 years of reign of Messiah. Jesus will come, establish his kingdom on this earth and rule for 1,000 years. And the book of Ezekiel says, during the time when Christ is reigning, this end time war a war of Armageddon is going to happen. But in the book of Revelation, you see in chapter 20, verse 7, that is end times, when the thousand years are ended, Satan will, re will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. So here you see it is happening after a thousand years of rain. But in the book of Ezekiel, it says during the thousand years of rain. So which one is right? I don't know. I will wait until it happens. And then I will know what is going to happen. But until then, what we can do is keep praying. Keep praying. And second difference is, in the book of Revelation, Satan is the one who is gathering the nations to come and attack Jerusalem. But whereas in the book of Ezekiel, it is God calling the nations, bringing them to attack Jerusalem. What is common is that Israel will be attacked. That is common. That is common. It is going to be attacked. But will they prevail? No. At the end, God will rescue Jerusalem. God will rescue Israel. And in this battle, all other nations will be judged. Wiped out. Completely wiped out. Completely wiped out. So why, why the valley of Jehoshaphat makes sense now? How does God do it? He does not need your power. He does not need your weapons. He does not need your horses. doesn't need your tanks. doesn't need your missiles. Because he is the one who is going to fight the battle for Israel. That's why it is called valley of Jehoshaphat. The meaning of the word Jehoshaphat is God will judge. What is the meaning? God will judge. So this battle of Armageddon is not going to be fought by the people using their weapons. It is God who will come down and he will finish the people who oppose his rule. Does it make sense? Is it clear? Many have tried to identify, identify where is the value of Jehoshaphat. Jeremiah talks about it in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 31 and following verses. He calls it valley of the son of Hinnom. Isaiah chapter 22, verse 10, it says it's the valley of vision. And you, you, you have different kind of things. And, uh, and this battle of Armageddon, when you see book of Revelation chapter 16, verses 12 to 16, then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up, so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. But they are spirits of demons performing signs, which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to battle 
of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew, Armageddon. So this battle is initiated by Satan himself. He will go out to deceive nations and he'll bring them together to attack Jerusalem. So many people, we are all scientific people, isn't it? We only want to see and believe only what science tells. At the end time, science is not going to be the ruler. It's the devil who is going to deceive people and bring them together to attack the nation. So now what is the main charge here? God says in chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, he says, There I will enter into judgment against them concerning my inheritance, my people Israel, for they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. And they cost lots for my people and traded boys for prostitutes and they sold girls for wine that they might drink. There are a few things here I want you to understand. Very simple things. First thing is that they are attacking whatever is God's. My people, my land, and um, uh, my inheritance. My people Israel. So we have to understand that you cannot fight God. All the nations who are going to fight against Israel are fighting against God. And who is going to win? Who will win? God. It's very simple. But until that happens, we, are, we, have, we will be watching this game un unravel, unfold before our eyes. And then what they did is, uh, what these uh, people have done is, they scattered my people. Now this may refer to many things. The invasion of Babylonians, invasion of Assyrians, they carried people away, Israelites, and they took them to far off nations, they left them there. They emptied the whole nation of uh, Judah and Jerusalem and Israel, everything they emptied completely and brought their people and settled them in this place. So you have Samaritans who are not a pure Jewish race. They are a mix of leftover Jews and Assyrians. They are Samaritans. All these things have happened. But what God says, wherever they have been scattered, I will bring them back. I will bring them back to my land. And he will do it. Right now, many Israelites who are scattered from different parts of the world, they're trying to go back to Jerusalem, go back to Israel. In different parts of Israel, they're settling down. They are keeping on building many multiple-story buildings to accommodate these people. But not enough. Not enough. Because so many people scattered. Every country has Jewish people, and they have to come back. You know, right now in Ukraine, where the war is going on, Zelensky is a Jew. Even in Russia, Putin is a Jew. He has got Jewish inheritance. So I hope he doesn't want to kill his brother. That's the reason why he has not allowed, allowed him to be killed so far. He's a Jewish brother, you see. But he has his own agenda of establishing one rule that Russia should have complete domination over the place. So that's why he came and attacked. But that's not our problem anyway. But many Jewish people were there in Ukraine, and that's the reason why Israel got into the battle now. They are giving tactical support, they are giving different things, they got into it. And North Korea has joined there on the other side. Their soldiers are fighting for Russia. What am I trying to say? This is just the beginning. What is it? Just the beginning. This will keep on going to such an extent where all the countries of the world will be aligned with one group or the other. And ultimately, they will come to attack Jerusalem. There is still a lot of time. Because according to Revelation, it will be after a thousand years of reign. 
and according to Ezekiel, it will be due, during the thousand year of rain. That means Jesus has to come first before these things happen. Jesus has to come first before these things happen. And then what did they do? They divided up my land. They cast lots for my people. Traded boys for prostitutes. They cast lots for my people. What does this mean? When in a war situation you capture people, the soldiers who have won the war, they'll, they'll take hold of a guy. Let's say one of their, one of their captives. Uh, who, who is going to take him? One soldier may say, I want him. Another soldier will say, no, I want him. How they decide is, they cost the lot. If you win, it is his yours. If I win, he is mine. They cost lots to take the captives of Israel. They have done it in the past. They cost lots to take my people. Uh, and then he says, they cost lots for my people, traded boys for prostitutes. Now, this is not talking about the same group. When you read it, it will be contradictory. Contradictory because they cost lots for my people, traded boys for prostitutes. That means when they wanted to satisfy their lust and they have a boy who has been taken captive, they trade with a woman. Okay, take this boy. I'm selling it to you. You give me a time of pleasure. And then they do, they traded and sold girls for wine. When they want to drink wine, they don't have money in the battlefield. They say, take this girl and give me the drink, wine, so I can drink. What does it mean? Human life has no value. In the battle, human life has no value. And God says, I am going to judge. I will judge because you, you are behaving like this. I will judge you guys because you have traded my people. You have traded my people. You know, you, they, in, in real estate, you got a word chattels. What are chattels? Whatever things are there that come with the house, they are chattels. It's something... You trade, you're selling and buying, you know, the chattels. You have to list them, what are the things in a house? So boys and girls taken captive are like chattels. They're using them for their pleasure. And God says, I will judge. And verse four onwards, now, I don't know how much time I have. Anybody has a time? Five minutes more? Okay. <laughs> Cool. I will try to conclude here probably otherwise. And I'll carry on from next week. I hope to finish until verse 14, but I done only of verse 3. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. God is great and awesome God. He's awesome God. So we have talked about a lot of things that are going to happen in the future. And... Uh, one thing that I want to tell you here is very important thing that I want to share today is I was actually joking with my wife Seema some time ago. These people, Israelites, every time they go to war, they are ill-prepared. They are not equipped properly. Think about Goliath and uh, David. What did David have? A sword? No. Javelin? Spear? Nothing. He had five pebbles and a slingshot. And look at the guy, Goliath. He comes, uh, uh, such tall guy and so hefty guy. Probably he was equal to four uh, Davids in size and weight. And the, the rod he carried was like a weaver's beam. That was quite massive. And he had an armor bearer to carry things for him. And this guy goes with a staff in his hand. Do you think I'm a dog? You're coming against me with a staff? 
<laughs> that's how you talk. But that is a picture you have in your mind. David and Goliath is the same picture every time you see Israelites going for war. Whether it's Jehoshaphat or it is Hezekiah, uh, anybody. They are not the strongest people. But why they could not be wiped out? God was always fighting for them. And the Holy Spirit told me in my mind, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That is a symbol of Christianity today. That's a symbol of Christians. We will not be powerful in that sense of using guns and ammunition and missiles. That's not our thing. Our trust is in God. When you have trust is in you, when your trust is in God, He will deliver you. He will rescue you. He will bless you. He will prosper you. He will take you to the place where you have never dreamed about. Why? Because He is God. Because He is God. Those who trust in Him will never be put to shame. If you trust in God, this Jesus Christ of Nazareth is the living one. You will not be put to shame. You will not, your problem will not overpower you because God will rescue you. Because if you trust in him, he will rescue you. Blessed are the meek. Sometimes people think meek are weak. No, not necessary. Meek are the people who have the strength in control. But not necessarily we have got a lot of ammunition and we got swords and um, other kind of equipment, spears and javelins. No, we don't have horses and chariots. But our trust is in God and God will judge in the valley of Jehoshaphat. And we are his people who will be the ones who are going to enter into the victory of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We already have won. I'll tell you briefly why I, I spoke uh, in the morning about Exodus chapter 6. I was praying for a lady the other day on Skype. That means she's not here in front of me on Skype. And as I was praying, I said, you Pharaoh, let her go free. Because Pharaoh and his armies, chariots have been drowned in the Red Sea. And the Red Sea stands for the blood of Jesus. You are already finished. You are defeated. You cannot be victorious at all against this lady. And she is a daughter of God. Let her go free. And she just began to manifest. The demon in her was shaking her. She doesn't know about Exodus. She doesn't know about Pharaoh. It is the word of God is powerful. When you read Bible, it is the word of God. And when you release that word by faith, it will work miracles for you. You have to speak the word by faith. So every time I pray for people, I tell this word, you Pharaoh, let them go free because you're finished on the cross. Jesus has disarmed you. He has made you a public spectacle. He put you down on the cross, on the, on the ground. He crushed your head. He took other weapons you trusted. He, you have been reduced to nothing. Therefore, you have to let them go. The battle is already won. But God is waiting for you to stand up and say, I am victorious. Let the weak say, I am strong. Let the weak say, I am strong. So the battle is a battle of faith. My question today is, do you know this God? Do you know this God who will lead you into victory? Do you know this God who will fight your battle? Do you know this God who wants to bless you? Do you know this God? If you don't know Jesus, it is not too late. You can simply say, Jesus, I want to surrender my life to you. Come into my heart. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. And the moment you say it, the same moment Jesus steps into your heart. Shall we pray? Shavarastakrono. Marasakti karano. 
demonstrated my power to the whole world time and again, time and again, time and again, says the Lord. But people would not come to me. And Jesus says, I am like a one who stretched his arms all day, calling people, come to me, come to me, come to me. And that call is coming to you this morning, right now. That call is coming to you right now. The whole question is, do you want to respond to this Jesus who wants to bless you? This Jesus who died for you? This Jesus who gave his life for you? Do you want to say to him, Jesus, come into my heart. I want you to be king in my life. And you never prayed this prayer. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. But this morning you say, I want this Jesus. Would you like to just stand up where you are? I want to pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. Say, say to the Lord, come into my heart. And he will come right away. Right away he will come into your heart. Father, thank you for children who are standing up now. Bless them. And I pray my hand come upon them. Let them see your power and your glory. Let them see your might and power. Let them see your wisdom. Let them see your understanding and knowledge in every situation they are in. And I pray that, that, that Pharaoh, oh God, be subdued in their life. Grab that Pharaoh and his fallen angels and throw them to the lake of fire. Lake of fire, that's where you go. I command you, Pharaoh and your fallen angels, to go into the lake of fire. That's your destiny. That's where Jesus is throwing you right now. Let my people go free in Jesus' mighty name. Let my people go free in Jesus' mighty name. Let my people go free in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Lord. Bless your children. Visit them. Thank you for your word. Cause it to bear fruit in our lives. To the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Thanks for joining us at Omega. If you need prayer for healing or breakthrough, or simply to find out more, please head to our website or Facebook page in the links below.